RJ? Cam? The fuck was that? Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, Chief. On my chart of, uh, is this it? I don't see this race here. Ugh. I don't see anything about this weekend here. Yet, we have to do a podcast on it anyway. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 428 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And MotoGP is back! Woo! Don't all cheer at once, you know. Um, it's the it's what we've been waiting for this whole time. Yeah, Wait. the last the, the the last season in what we called season preview season. We're back. We're now fully up and running. And uh, oh dear, what the hell was that weekend? Cam, um, I I gotta tell you something on this chart. I'm seeing I'm seeing no mention of Mike Patton or his band Faith No More or the hit single Epic because apparently this race was not it. No, I am seeing their first single off of their more recent record, uh, "Motherfucker." Though, yeah, that works. That 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 definitely works. Um, thank you, for, thank you for tuning into our uh, uh, semi-obscure American Amer- alternative metal podcast. Yeah, well, um, you know, it has to be said, this wasn't easy. Yeah, so this uh, this week we'll be reviewing the latest album from Manskin. Um, anyway, <laughs> I kid. Uh, uh, Dre, on- you've got me falling to pieces. Ugh, what, what else is new? Um, <laughs> in this episode of Motorsport 101, we're going to be talking all about MotoGP season opener in Portimao, the Portuguese Grand Prix. Uh, the first time we've had a European season opener. God, quite a while. I want to say maybe 2006 was the last time we had a a European opener on two wheels. But uh, yeah, we'll be getting into that over the course of the next hour or so because we've got some shit to talk about because bike racing has erupted in terms of the dialogue again. Krakatoa! Welcome back, everybody. We're going to try and lay these bag of snakes out as straight as we can and try and make sense of it all because uh, the most common sense thing we had about this whole weekend was that Francesco Bagnaia took the entire weekend and all 37 points that came with it. Everything else, on the other hand, was a dumpster fire. Mark Marquez causing an incident which has got the internet seething, molding, looking for nuance, loopholes in the rules, a sprint race that's now effectively put four people on the shelf uh, including one that could have suffered a much, much worse fate, um, and we'll get to, we'll get to that later on in the show. But uh, we have so much to break down over the course of this one. But first, let's get into our hosts. Uh, first up, RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. How's it going? Uh, Jason puts up a interesting point. Uh, what's longer coming out of this weekend? Uh, Chris Jericho's famous list from his last WWE run, mm. or the injury list going into next week's Argentine Grand Prix? Yes. That's yeah, the answer to the wash. question. Yeah, this one, this one, I'm calling it a tie. Um, yeah, like, rider injury number 997, armbar, um, <laughs> etc. Et, et, et um, Hold number 998, arm pump. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't had one of those yet this week. Um, well, apparently, I did hear Raul Fernandez has got arm pump, but he won't be dealing with it till, with it till after Argentina. Um, so that'll be fun. Um, also, we want to give a quick round of applause because we didn't realize this until Jason mentioned it a couple of days ago. 
His uh, Sebring episode was his 200th appearance on the show. Cam Buckley, everybody. What is wrong with you people? Why do you keep me here? <laughs> well, you pay rent and... and how, you know. how am I allowed to have this platform to spread my nonsense? You pay rent and you don't stink out the place. We've come to accept you. Congratulations. Happy 200, my friend. Uh, the, the, is bar is lo- the bar is somewhere below Yamaha's straight line speed. Ooh, that's low. <laughs> yeah, again, one of, the, one of the more normal and conventional things that happened over the course of this weekend, Yamaha kind of struggled. If you're, on a, if you're on a Japanese Grand Prix bike right now, you are, you are in the struggle bus. You are going through it, to say the least. Uh, oh, dude, dude Shinzo's, Shinzo's looking up at this and, and, and frowning about the declining birth rate and the declining top speeds. <laughs> I am no longer asking fix the bikes. <laughs> oh my god RJ what's, what's going into you motorsport101.com yes yes check that out if you want some extra thoughts from me look I, I've, I had to do something with a race review that I've only ever done three times ever I had to put an editor's note in it multiple uh, multiple I've, I've had to change this post I've got another one coming out on Marquez before the end of the week because there is so much shit to break down as a result of this incident. And basically, my overall vibe is it's this isn't really a Mark Marquez story. You'll have to see what I mean when, when, when we talk about it a bit more on the show. But if you want my full because, thoughts... You know, our favorite no. ever topic on this show, stewarding, which of I course. just can't comprehend. Why are we still talking about this when we fired Michael Massey? We're full, we, we fixed, fixed stewarding. stewarding. And yet the stewarding keeps breaking, you know? I, I, I don't know. It's it's at this point. Why would NASCAR allow this? I know. Motorsport underscore 101 on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we can check us out on Instagram, motorsport101pod. And if you want to follow us on our handles personally, you can at Dre underscore WTF1, Buckley 917 and at RJ O'Connell. As said, motorsport101.com if you want some extra thoughts from yours truly on all the bullshit that went down in Portimao. Um, and if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. You can back us over there. Five bucks gets you early access to all of our episodes before they're released to the public. Ten gets you in the supporters club of our Discord server, where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded. Shout out to Jason, who's listening in right now, who says 174 more appearances for Cam, and he could overtake King. Good luck, buddy. Sometime next year, I reckon. Um, Ryan Eric Kingsford can be found. All right. Uh, well, it's time now. to announce our new sports car centric podcast with myself and RJ. Um, name <laughs> redacted here. Um, it will be coming out on a redacted date and covering redacted series. Sounds like fun. I, I, for, I, for, I, for one, am just looking forward to just like scraping the bottom of the barrel for the most obscure GT3 derived championships. We Excuse can find. me. We are the authority on the Palanga 1006. That I can You're, promise you. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. We're not making fun of an event that should be regarded as, as a missing leg of the triple crown of endurance racing. Gentlemen, 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 we're getting distracted. Should we talk about some bikes? Let's talk about some uh, bikes. Please, no. Welcome back to the biggest stage in motorcycle racing. What the fuck just happened? Well, from the top, it was a reasonably comfortable yet dominant weekend for the reigning world champion of MotoGP, Francesco Bagnaia, in Portugal. 
he took a narrow yet untouched win over the Aprilia of Maverick Vinales in second, followed by Marco Pasecki getting a second career top flight podium in third. But the race was overshadowed by a nasty incident early on involving pole sitter Mark Marquez. Yes, you heard that right. Mark Marquez put his Repsol Honda on pole position for the feature race. Marquez was trying to make moves up at the front of it, but he locked his front tire and plowed into hometown hero Miguel Oliveira. Oliveira injured his leg. Jorge Martin. And Jorge Martin. Oliveira injured his leg, and for his troubles, Mark Marquez hurt his hand. Oliveira hurt his leg, and Marquez hurt his hand. Uh, Regardless, Mark was originally given a double long lap penalty for NetSuite Argentine Grand Prix. But since he's been ruled unfit to race in Argentina, he wouldn't have had to serve the penalty because the notice that was given said it was just for that specific race. This great canyon of a loophole, which nobody noticed until now at Doherty Sport, has just been closed today, so Mark Marquez now has to serve the penalty when he's fit to race. Great work, everybody. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Oh, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, and so they're you know, both... You know, I think this reminds us of a, a great a, a great lesson in life. Never attribute to malice what can equally be attributed to incompetence. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Trey... What did you make of the race itself? Um, first and foremost, a quick update for those who haven't listened in by now, because every podcast is somebody's first. Mark Marquez is out of the Argentine Grand Prix this weekend. He will not be replaced. Turns out he broke a bone in his right thumb. Um, they're going to give him every chance to recover for the Circuit of the Americas in three weeks' time. Miguel Oliveira was originally declared fit after the incident he was involved in. But um, further recovery detailed that he's actually a bit more hurt in said leg than anticipated, so he'll be missing Argentina as well. That's uh, not really surprising. He took a motorcycle to the back. Yeah. And, he took I a mean, motorcycle to the back. That is not a good massage method. And, and, it, and it, it was the, declared fit. <laughs> well, well, it was. it's primarily a bruise of the upper, I believe, right leg, but it looks like... There is further damage in there as well. And also Jorge Martin, for his troubles, came away with a broken toe and later dumped the bike in the race because he basically couldn't have his foot on the peg. Yeah, that's a problem. Um, so, yeah, as, as, as it stands right now, Mark Marquez will not be replaced. We don't know on the status of the other potential replacements. We'll get to them in a minute because we got a lot to break down in that later on just bear with us on this one but the race itself was fine it didn't solve any of the problems that i've had with moto gp in the last year and change this like francesco bagnaia is him we need to point this out first and foremost he was sensational all weekend qualified second won the sprint race which we'll get to um just out dueling jorge martin who we all know is fast as all hell and then in the race itself, it turns out Maverick Vinales came through and was the main threat to to uh, Banyaya over the course of the race. Uh, and Maverick did what he's tried to do a lot of the time with, with these regulations. Try and manage his tire. Uh, try to not let it overheat. Back off a little bit and then go for one last full frontal assault at the end. And Banyaya was able to resist 
everything that Vinales could throw at him. Um, it's the old uh, Andy Roddick phrase. Uh, you know, uh, I went to the bathroom and threw the kitchen sink at him, but Roger went back and got his tub. Um, well, the thing is, is that that was kind of the general theme other than a, a battle we will talk about later. No one could get close to one another because these bikes are, well, they can't race anymore. Let's just rip that bandage off you know, right now. Um, I was actually, sh- I was very surprised Vinales actually, he came through the field. The factory Aprilia is qualified pretty poorly. Mm. Um, and then we're able to come through the field pretty well. And Vinales for, for what it's worth was actually pretty much be able to match Banyaya all the way home. He just could never get in a position where he could get close enough to pass. Pretty much. And that, that was without question for me, Maverick's best weekend on an Aprilia. That oh, was absolutely. He was excellent all weekend long. Made you know, actually, he looks like he might have actually worked on his starts because both his starts were excellent uh, in the sprint and in the main race, especially in the main race. He had an excellent start, got through the field early, got into his rhythm quickly, and was right there with Banyaya all the way through. And that's about as much as you could reasonably ask for Aprilia here. Um, that was an this is the Maverick Vinales we were promised. Yeah, I, I I hope it comes up more often because if if this should like this really is kind of like the last chance saloon for Maverick Vinales as a rider, really for me. Like he, this, he's in a contract here with Aprilia right now, and like he's in a good place. He's looked after. You know, he and they get along very well. This this should be it for Maverick. Like and yeah, I'm, this was an excellent excellent weekend for the, for the for the man and. Top Gun was flying high on this one, and that was one of the highlights of the race. It was good to see a surprising name up up, the, up at the front again, and uh, that was cool. And Marta Bezaki can ride a little. Oh, yeah. I mean, 2.7 seconds off the win on last year's bike. No, well, last year's bike was pretty good. Well, Lord was also doing some work. KTM, Lord knows what KTM was up to. K- KTM, we will we'll talk about them. Uh, we will need to talk about their second team a little bit later on. But the factory KTM's had their token weight. Are they good now, Race? Right off yeah. the bat. Right, right, right um, away. And, and Jack Miller beat, beat Brad Binder on debut. <laughs> Jack Miller legitimately looked like a threat for pole until he dumped the bike on his, his second to last. Uh, yeah. You know, the second to last run for everyone in qualifying. Miller's got some um, pace. I will say he did find a way to kill his tires in nine laps in the sprint race, which is honestly, I, I, I just put my hand up and say, I'm impressed. Um, but yeah, he looked fantastic. And Brad Bender, well, he passed some fucking bikes. Word to Ryan Eric King. 14th to 6th, despite having a major case of whiplash. Yeah, he's, he's riding badly hurt right now. He did a fantastic job this weekend to bring anything home. I get the feeling if you just tuned in for the feature race, like you had gotten a messy incident at the top and without knowing any of the other concepts before it, you would have been like, okay, that was a pretty decent race. Well, we do have to talk about something before we get to the sprint. Um, now I'm going to take all my fan gear off. I'm going to uh, throw it in the fire here. You know, if Mark Marquez wants to do what he did, on Sunday, well, he can get in the catacombs if he wants to act like a fucking bonehead. At best, that was a boneheaded bit of breaking. Like for those who don't know exactly what happened, he is breaking towards turn two. He is he locks his front tire. 
um, and has to release the brake. And at that point, there is no stopping that mo- that motorcycle, and he just clatters into Miguel Oliveira's back. And he had the whole shot, Miggy. He's, it's easy to forget he he was leading through the first couple of laps of this race. And yeah, he got speared um, in the back again. Like I, I, at first, Miguel was declared fit somehow, um, which is kind of crazy in its own right. As as mentioned, like, Martin got clattered as well. He broke his toe in the incident, but was also he, he was declared fit. He yeah. should be fine for Argentina, thankfully. Um, luckily, a toe isn't quite so serious in bike racing, but uh, it was a horrible accident. Um, you can act. You can actively see, and there's great pictures of this on the internet already. The Portuguese fans swearing, booing, and gesticulating towards Marquez as he rides back to the paddock. Yo, um, Dre, give me that hierarchy of Portuguese athletes that that you were telling me about offline, because Miguel yeah. Oliveira's popularity is astonishing if you put it in these terms. Um, I've asked many a Portuguese fan about, like, I've asked him, like, is he really this popular? Because I remember when they first rode here, I think it was a couple of years ago, in, in 2021, I want to say, um, I asked, like, a couple of Portuguese fans, a couple of them listened to this show, Daniel, shout out to you, buddy. Um, like, is he really that popular in Portugal? And the response yeah. I got was, um, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, Obviously, football legend, one of the, probably the most recognizable athlete in the world. Bruno Fernandes, Manchester United captain, and again, you know, elite level footballer. Miguel Oliveira, in that order. That's yeah, how big a celebrity. That, that's how big a celebrity Miguel Oliveira is. He gets mobbed at this round every year. He has to hire extra security. When he when he enters and leaves the track during race weekend, he arrives like Goldberg about to wrestle for the world heavyweight championship. Oh yeah, armed escort. <laughs> oh yeah, like full on Halloween havoc vibes here. Yeah, like Miggy is that popular here. So to take out Miguel Oliveira in a MotoGP race, it's a bit like punching somebody's sainted mother. Um, it's it yeah like understandably the portuguese fans were livid i was watching on bt sports coverage and biking legend Silvan gintoli quite funnily said and i quote he's gonna have to leave this track on a helicopter um <laughs> after the race was said and done people, yeah, people I mean, were, 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 were foaming at the mouth in anger over this and honestly can't blame him i mean nope. there's been a lot of there's been a lot of discussion about this incident and i mean yeah, wasn't it's, great, was it? No, like, and, and the thing is, it wasn't, and it wasn't even an overtaking attempt. Like right. it, it initially, and that was the initial thought. And then you watch the replay; it's just like, no, it's just out of control on the bike. Yeah, and as Mark put it, they're having to brake that late on the Honda to not be tenth or twelfth. And while that is an explanation, and I can understand it, it's not really an excuse. It's not borrow. a just. It's, 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 it's not. It's a just, not justification. Yeah. No, it's not a justifiable reason to ride a motorcycle that way. It, I, I get it. We all know that Honda is fundamentally flawed. We've, we've, God help us. We've talked about it for to, to, to the moon and back. Well, that's the show. duality of Mark. Where the the previous day, I mean, he looked like the the bike looked like I was going to break in half on his pole lap. Yeah, he I mean, was. He was yeah. completely. He was at fifteen tenths all the way around the lap. And that's that, and, and, that's, and that's part of the problem. 
That's and, part of the problem, though. And he was towing, and he was towing Anea Bastianini all the way around the lap, and he still barely outqualified Pecco for pole. Yeah. And that's amazing. But then you are in a situation where, you know, and anyone who's played a racing game, anyone who's done, you know, track days, if you're around other people at speed, you're not riding to the absolute limit and potential. You're not racing to that limit. You are, you have to be conscious and aware of the people around you. And in this case, in a vacuum, does that braking work if you're alone? Eh, maybe. But not when you're in a pack of other riders. And Mark had already had an issue trying to get the bike stopped on the second lap of the race where um, the, he basically had to do the same thing. Basically, had to pick the bike up. And he and Jorge Martin almost rode through each other about three separate times in the space of two corners. Yeah, um, it, it was Mark it was a wild through. it was a wild opening scramble until everybody just came out of it, you know, the way that they did. Yeah, and again, like, look, if you're Mark Marquez right now, you're back physically. Okay, you have nothing to prove. You are an eight-time MotoGP world champion, or sorry. Eight-time motorcycle world champion, six MotoGP titles. There is a distinction. Mm-hmm. There is nothing to play for right now. If he had, if he could have brought that, you know, he got a podium in the sprint, which we'll talk about a little bit later. If he brings home top seven, that's an unbelievable result. He is still so much faster than everybody else on a Honda right now. and He destroyed Mir and Rins. Yeah. Destroyed them. And Alex Rins was finishing last year looking like the best motorcycle racer on the planet. Yo, and Mir is a past world champion! Mir is a past world champion, and he got seal clubbed. Yeah. Bring the friggin' points home. Until Calix brings whatever they're going to bring. That has been moved up. So it looks like that's going to come in actually middle of April for mm-hmm. Hareth. For Hareth, yeah. Until then, you're trying to win on a bike that it, your your abilities it's on are great. But they are not capable of bringing this bike wins. Because I don't think anyone can. Take no. the points. You do but... not need to be riding at 15 tenths in a pack. Look, I'm as big a Marquez fan as anybody, and he's boneheaded. And look, I need to make one thing absolutely clear here: Mark Marquez is not a stupidly dirty rider. A lot of people seem Most to have people this... want to say he is, and I, I... oh, there were so many of them this weekend. Look, it's like it's like people were waiting for an incident like this to be to like reestablish their hate for what Mark Marquez is as a bike rider. I've been following Mark Marquez's entire career. In the top flight, he's had two days where I would genuinely say he's gone way over the line. This one, and I would say Argentina in 2016. 18. 18, it wasn't quite it was 18. I would say the, the last time he just cleaned someone the fuck out was, I, I would say Silverstone 21 can go on there because he just cleaned Jorge Martin out. Yeah, that's a fair one. Just being over-aggressive, but... The the answer lies somewhere in the middle of much further towards, look, there is a lot of aggressive riding in MotoGP. We have to be now. 
You this have to be small. now because you, you have to get everything that you can get now. There was next to no passing other than the clinic Zarco put on late in this race, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Mm. Ever, there was like a second gap between most bikes other than that fight for the podium. Um, or sorry, the fight for fourth behind Bezeki, who was on the podium. Sorry. Mm. But... Uh, how would I put this? Every single thing he does is going to be under massive scrutiny because people want to see the dude fail. They have since Valentino Rossi was throwing conspiracy theories around in 2015 in a press conference. And that permanently etched into people's minds that Mark Marquez is a dirty rider. I don't think this was dirty. I no. think this was an unfortunate accident. It was a mistake. I'm not going to call it a small mistake, but a mistake that ended up with very severe consequences given the, the, double, size of the, the double long lap penalty is completely fine i would have been i would have been fine with a pit lane start honestly i would have gone one further i sure. think the long lap penalty or the pit lane start is fine i think the people calling for race bans is a bit rich um given i don't even think this was the most egregious incident on the weekend we'll get to that when we talk about the sprints um but it's not sustainable Look, he broke his hand. I mean, it's not it's not a major injury. He'll be back for Coda. He'll probably be fine. But it's not sustainable. Take, not he needs to he needs to go back to his 2016 self of just take the points and see what Calex brings you in her wrath. Yeah, I mean, in a vacuum, a double long lap I thought was fine. It, like if you gave Mir a long lap penalty for a, a lunge during the sprint that he had no a chance hopeless of making, lunge. It was a hopeless lunge. It was irresponsible ride, and he was given the long lap penalty. That was clearly a, like what with Marquez was was a clearly a step above that. So I felt like a double long lap was fine in a vacuum. The problem I have with it is not the DLLP in a in a, in a you know in a vacuum. The problem is is that again, what counts as a penalty? We don't know. I, I, Simon Patterson for the race wrote a very good piece about this, and he leaned towards what Cam was saying about it being a, maybe a pit lane start because he thought of Sam Lowe's when he wiped out Jorge Navarro in Austria in Moto2 a couple of years ago, and he was black flagged from the race and given a pit lane start uh, for the next round. And mm -hmm. it's on that level. <coughs> I, I, can, I can understand. If you, if you say to me it's a pit lane start, I wouldn't argue with you. I think that's nope. completely understandable. Um but then we've also got incidents like Takanakagami last year, who at the time, let, let, let's not forget, people were calling for Taka's head after literally headbutting a motorcycle. A head that almost that wasn't day. on his shoulders anymore after that crash. Yeah, Alex Rins was seething with rage after that incident, calling for a race ban. He was, he, I think he called the stewards a cunt at one point, and he was so angry about it. Like, I mean, he's the one who got his wrist broken out of the whole ordeal. And so there was no disciplinary that. action from the There student. was no penalty. Like I mean, when, uh, when, when, when Fabio Quattararo dive-bombed the shit out of Alasia Spargaro last year, he was given the long lap penalty. Alasia Spargaro, who was calling for Mark Marquez to get a race ban, said that Fabio Quattararo shouldn't have been penalized. We're all for... a bunch of fucking hypocrites here. May, may I just point this out? We have no idea what constitutes a penalty. And this is the problem. Like, apparently... The double long lap was an agreed-upon sanction 
in a handshake meeting with the riders and the stewards before the weekend started on Thursday. Marquez said that during his post-race press conference. While Trey, how many times on the show do we have to talk about handshake agreements regarding regulations? All the fucking time, apparently, because this is the second time Every I've done episode. it in a week. It's the and, second and time in a week I've had to do it. <laughs> My favorite recurring characters in uh, in universes: Motorsport 101 the has handshake, handshake, handshake deals. Um, in in Bright Sun Films is abandoned series. It's the 2008 recession and Eddie Lampert, formerly of Sears Kmart. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. This this is another case where immediately a handshake deal for a certain thing to be interpreted a certain way in the regulations immediately comes under fire because it has to get implemented and it melts down the second it arrives. Yeah. Because I mean, since then Razlan Rosali, who runs the, um, RNF for a prettier team said they're called, they want a harsher punishment. Jorge Martin understandably was like Marquez is a repeat offender. He needs to be more harshly punished. And Martin's got good reason to be, given he's been collected twice by Marquez uh, in the last two years or so. Um, you know. Um, well, then you have riders like Bez who are going to bat for Marquez. Yeah, it's ultimately if ultimately if you have people on both sides, you know, in your own paddock, the answer probably does lie somewhere in the middle. Yeah, um, um, and I think this penalty is that kind of middle ground, but. Well, RNF, you agreed to the handshake deal, and then when the handshake deal ended up coming for your neck, you want to change it. And understandably so. Miguel end, Oliveira got cleaned yeah. the fuck out. End the fucking handshake agreements, first and foremost. We need, we, and you, just, you need to establish in writing what const, what does and does not constitute a given level of penalty. Yeah, and I know it's. I know there will always be a level of subjectivity that comes with that because no, no two incidents are ever the same. But if you've caused a severe incident that has ruined multiple riders' days, including your own, and it was deemed dangerous, there needs to be a clear level of establishment as to what that constitutes. Because MotoGP hasn't got an excuse. Like back in the days of like a decade ago when it was Marco Simoncelli that was often accused of going over that line. Like, all we had really was the drive-through penalty. Now we have the long lap penalty. At one point, we had time penalties. We can now give out double long lap penalties. You've now got pit lane starts. The book is more flexible to adapt towards these situations. There isn't an excuse anymore. Like, you need to... to that effect, Dre. Another rider got cleaned out this weekend and had their shoulder broken by an over-aggressive overtake, and it was not penalized at all. So what's a penalty then? Like I'm not saying and, and I wouldn't and I wouldn't call for Marini's head for a race ban either. I don't think no. that incident constituted that either. No, That's I, not I, what I'm saying. I think a lot of people um, want to use Marquez's reputation as a stick to beat him with in this instance. One, I don't think Marquez is anywhere near as dirty as some of these people say he is. And I would also say that do you know how far down the road you've got to get to as a bike rider to be talking about race bands? We're talking like Carol Hanukkah level bullshit. Talking uh, grabbing other people's brake handles. Yeah, like it's not ideal to say the least. Look, like I said, in a vacuum, the penalty was fine. I have two major takeaways to come away from all of this. Number one is that 
the stewards need the stewarding needs to be addressed and i've said this time and time again the moto gp stewards are actually worse than formula ones at the moment at the By moment a mile and a stretch yeah and don't get me wrong the fia are no are, are no angels but no. Uh, you can see they've actively tried to make an effort to improve the situation moto gps are still horrifically bad Second of all, Mark Marquez does not need to be fucking Russell Westbrook anymore, okay? Like, Mark Marquez needs to know... He, like, he does not need to be jacking 40 shots a game and bl- and turning his knees into a fine mist. He doesn't have anything to prove to anyone anymore. You are He's one of the trying greatest... trying to prove it to himself. You are the most naturally talented bike rider I have ever seen in my life. You have got nothing to prove to Honda, to yourself... Or to anyone, you don't need to play hero ball anymore. Like, you take the points and see what you can get. This season is still not lost, in my opinion. We are still talking about a world champion who left the door way the fuck open this time last year. Okay, like there yeah, is like, no. We, we've had one race. Yeah, Pecco has proved himself exceedingly vulnerable in the past. Right to the point where last season, which should have been a walkover ended up being anything but. Yeah, some of that's gave, on Pecco, yeah. some of that's on Ducati. Yeah, you gave Fabio Quattararo genuine hope he could have won the world title last year. You gave him a 91-point lead. Yeah. And, and and coming back on to, coming back from 91 down to win it is a testament to Pecco's abilities. And he's a fan. Look, I was the one singing his praises first on the show way back when. Back, back before he broke his leg, Jesus. Um... But he's not infallible. Mark needs to get his head right. And look, you might have that Calyx frame in two weeks, three weeks. Get what you can get. Reassess then. And then reassess. Because that that is, I mean, we're, as it's been shown, like, Brottle is not going to replace him. That's for yep. a very good reason. Because that Calyx frame is supposedly coming into Honda's workshop to be tested privately that same week. That give Seth and, Brod- more- and Brottle like a weekend vacation in Argentina. Don't have him go no, run around the no, track. That's literally the point. <laughs> what is worth it more for Honda? A complete technical reset on their bike that fucking needs it? Or watching Stefan Brottle flounder around in 20th, watching the other three Honda riders finish fringe top 10 to just outside like they did this weekend because the other three Hondas finished in a big block. Alex Rins was winning races to end last year. On a he Suzuki. Sc- he was scraping the top 10 on this Honda. Not not good. And Mark I'm- put it on pole. That's how much he's overriding this thing. Yeah. And it's he can't. Uh, it's uh, not uh, that he can't. It's that it's it's not sustainable in race conditions. No, and I get that that can be difficult for a man who's lived his career on 11 temps over the line and basically rewrote. Mark Marquez can do 11 temps all day. Whatever he was at this weekend, I've never, I've never seen him really abusing a bike the way he was this weekend, and it's too much. Can I, can I be can I be a mediocre white man and play devil's advocate for a second? And, and Absolutely, just, go for, um, go go for it. Random ESPN executive number three. <laughs> Mark Marquez um, has to prove that he can still perform at a high level after the sequence of injuries. 
I get why he's pushing this hard. I get, but again, that's an explanation, and I get it, but it's not an excuse. Indeed. If he needs to prove it to himself, fine. But prove it to your prove it to yourself when you've got something to play for later this year. Not when your bike is fundamentally incapable of getting wins. But that's the thing. People who say that Mark Mark has only dominates when he has a good bike in front of him aren't going to care that he has a terrible bike all of a sudden. They're just going to hold that as ammunition to say Mark Marquez cannot win on a bad on a bike that's less than perfect. He won every championship from 16 to 19 on a bus. Yeah. He's the he's had the best bike in MotoGP for one out of his six world titles. Anyone yeah. who thinks otherwise is kidding themselves. He has nothing to prove to anybody but himself. And he the problem is, is that he can win a championship by playing conservatively. He's, he's just choosing not to. And that's he the problem. He proved it in 2016. He yeah. watched the Yamaha duo self-destruct. <laughs> the Luigi wins by doing nothing 2016 campaign. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. I mean, he rode to the point where he broke the other two late on. <laughs> but even so, I mean, he won't even get the chance to do that this year either way because the watching the teammate duo thing uh, meltdown might not even be in play here. Nope, because let's get into... Let's talk about the sprint. Oh. We finally got it. We got the we got the first ever MotoGP sprint race as part of the new weekend structure. Within it, we got an entertaining, aggressive twelve lap race where Francesco Bagnaia won ahead of Jorge Martin and Mark Marquez. But there was another nasty incident. Luca Marini wiped out Anea Bastianini during the race with the factory with the new factory Ducati rider breaking a shoulder blade as a result, rolling him out of the Grand Prix, the Argentine Grand Prix, and possibly beyond. If you combine that with a tense atmosphere during the weekend already with Paul Espargaro very lucky to be alive after injured. clattering an outside wall with his bike in very close company during practice on Friday, it was pretty clear that many of the riders weren't happy. And Mark Marquez, I remember him, we just talked about him. Mark Marquez even mentioned that five-letter U word again. A rider's union. That's 11 words. Just a union. A union of riders. After this weekend was all said and done, four top-class riders are confirmed to be out of Argentina, nearly 20% of the grid. That's Mark Marquez, Miguel Oliveira, Enea Bastanini, and Polo Spargaro. And we haven't even touched the drivers in lower categories. Those are, there are riders that are also going to be missing races. It happens. Uh, Dre, what did you make of the sprint? Was it, was it worth it all? There's a lot. You can't, you can't open the debate with the hardest question of all. No. Um, well, I will try because I like a challenge. Um, first and foremost, on behalf of everybody here, get well soon, Polar Spargaro, because oh that was God. a utterly horrendous accident. That was that could have been fatal. That was. Yeah. I, 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 we I, say I remember, it with no hyperbole. Mm. Um, he is very lucky to be alive. Yeah. And even saying that, he badly fractured his jaw. He has uh, multiple spinal injuries. Thankfully, none of them neurological, so nothing that would risk paralyzing him. Um, among other injuries, I mean, Along you watch that bike. You watch the bike following him into the gravel, and you think, oh, no. I mean, and thanks to Dorna for... Um, 
while he was still while he was at the side of the track for about 20 minutes receiving IVs showing the first half of the replay realizing how bad it was and then cutting it before you see him go all the way down and then showing the full run later thanks guys that was really pleasant to watch Um, I, I, I don't know why Dawn still fucking does that by the way it's fucking horrendous please stop you don't get gladiatorial nature and all that you you don't get any bonus points and if anyone out in in the director's box is getting a boner by replaying these near fatal accidents probably um, their job i i I don't see what you're doing this for yeah we lay we land at nbc when they do this with indycar rex yeah like you can you are you are the sole promoter of the sport and you're doing this like come on yeah, I mean, look, yeah, you char- <laughs> yeah, I signed up for your free trial and you charged me before it was over. Anyway. Yeah, um, look, J- I watched Jason Dupasquier die. That's all I, I need to say in response to that. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, and I want to move on because this, this is a, there's a, there's a lot I want to unpack here. First and yeah. foremost, the sprint race in of itself, in a vacuum, and I will backtrack a little bit, so bear with me here, but the sprint itself was great. I'm not. I, I would be lying to you if I wasn't entertained because it was great. It was a great. It was. It was exactly what I think Dorna and as a fan, I can't lie. It was exactly what I thought it was going to be in a good way. It was a more aggressive version of a Grand Prix. T- uh, riders t- were more aggressive. They took more risks and they ran more aggressive tire strategies to try and get like Jack Miller is a Cam alluded to Jack Miller there. out here on the soft, soft on a KTM strategy. Those uh, his body is a machine that turns fresh tires into destroyed tires. Mince meat. Um, and like um, in, 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 Mercedes we a, 2013 looking ass. And a, we had a fantastic fight between. You know, Mark Marquez, who pulled off a double overtake to get on the podium. Miguel Oliveira, who pushed too far and went right on the final lap. The duality of Mark Marquez being absolutely perfectly judged in his aggression in the sprint, which is a more aggressive race, and then barreling into two riders in the main event. Amazing. No notes. And and then Banyaya narrowly beating Jorge Martin in a close running fight because Martin had just overdone it on his tires a little bit um, in that one. And, you know, Banyaya is still him, as I mentioned earlier. The sprint in a vacuum was great. I'd be lying to you if I said it wasn't. But, and this is a big but, as Cam alluded to in uh, Luca Marini, who crashed four times over the weekend, Luca Marini had one of the worst weekends, without getting severely injured, one of the worst weekends I can remember for a top-class rider. He was a mess this weekend. Yeah, binned it at the bottom hairpin and collected Bastinini in the process, broke his shoulder blade. Good news is for Bastinini, he doesn't require surgery on the broken shoulder blade. Um, He'll be starting rehab for that on Monday. There's a chance he can make Austin. So, you know, it's... It's the best possible news Anaya could have gotten in the grand scheme of things. So yeah, because for for those who are uninitiated, shoulder blade, you know, MotoGP riders have ride through a lot of shit. Um, that is one of those things that you can't really ride through functionally. No, no, no um, chance. And it's too much of a risk to the integrity of your shoulder to actually try and ride through it. So nope. Shoulders immobilized. We'll kind of see where he is. We know he's out for Argentina. We'll see what he gets at Austin. Yeah. Yeah, but so. uh, yeah, Marini just fired it up the inside. Death taxes, Ducati tucks the front. I don't get to say that too often these days, but it mm. did happen. Um, 
that's probably what I would term as the worst incident of the weekend as far as boneheadedness. Because he just cleaned Bastianini the fuck out. Yeah. Um, Again, no penalty awarded for this one, which was a bit confusing in the context of the weekend. Yeah, it's... It, it's it's a weird one. Um, yeah. It, uh, uh, the point I was going to get to here, and I'm going to backtrack a little bit here, so again, bear with uh-huh. me here, but the way this played out, and don't get me wrong, like I said, so I thought the sprint was great. The way it has changed the entire structure of a race weekend has indirectly led to four riders being on the shelf. Now, let me explain. FP4, which we now get on a Saturday afternoon before qualifying, is now scrapped. We now only have a 10-minute warm-up on Sunday morning because they have to get their new hero walk in, which is, you know, track parade, selfies, autographs, accessibility. Nice stuff, right? Whatever. Um, On top of that, FP3 on a Saturday morning is now completely pointless. It serves no purpose because it's now too early in the morning to have any race sims run. And qualifying is now already established because they've changed the rules now where Q1 and Q2 are now determined by FP2 times rather than FP3 times combined. So now... It's made the session completely redundant. Yeah, FP3 is now redundant. It serves no purpose, um, other than making sure your bike is working. It serves no purpose. Every weekend is now maximum intensity right from the start, because now you can't just go easy in FP1, make sure your bike's working, maybe try a few setup changes here and there. You are now on it right from the start, because you've now only got an hour and a half of running before your Q1 or Q2 spot is locked in. It's now turned Q1 and Q2 into glorified qualifying sessions. Yeah, you you are doing quality, not even qualifying sims, you're doing actual qualifying runs. Um, Pretty much the entire time... You were at maximum attack for now, what, 90% of the weekend? It is now incredibly intense. And this reminds me of when, like, at, at, like, peak NASCAR, like, NASCAR is peak. They have they have qualifying on, like, a Friday after, like, one practice session. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and what it ended up triggering, I mean, Paul's incident, which was a uh, one, of the, one of those too much rear brake high sides, came because he was doing qualifying sims really too late in the day. We've spoken at length in the show about how sensitive the tires are to the weather conditions 500 miles away at this Mm. point. And he just got it wrong and was punished massively for it. And don't get me wrong. This is motorcycle racing. It kind of comes with the territory, but it means that it's just all attack all the time. I talk about I talked about Marquez with his incident at fifteen tenths. You now have to be at ten tenths all the way through the weekend, or you are missing out. Yeah, there is no practice. Isn't really practice now. Everything now matters, and this is the consequence. And this is ironic because Stefano Domenicali was down there this weekend, and he confusingly talked about making free practice sessions mean something. He's been talking about that since last year and trying to do that. Now, we don't know whether he was talking about MotoGP or F1. The interview kind of lacks context, so I don't want to get too much into it right now. But 
this is what Dorna wanted to do. This was the end game. They wanted everything to matter, and now everything matters. And there is a drawback that comes with that, because Polo Spagaro wrecked himself in an FP2 qualifying run on a cooling track towards the end of the day in a ruthless situation where your qualifying spot is now determined in a glorified qualifying session on Friday evening. Yep. And he had, I, I reiterate, he is lucky to be alive. I am blown away at actually the fact that he was, he's even been awake. You know, he has, uh, Aleish has been posting a couple pictures in the hospital with him. He had mm. surgery on his jaw today as a time of recording. And you know what? Watching a bike follow a rider into a gravel trap. I watched Louis Salon die. Mm -hmm. I really don't feel like watching that again. No, I don't either. And no, again, does. this is motorcycle racing. This is look, even you ride a motorcycle on a motorway out in public and you're in danger. It comes with the territory, but it has turned every moment of a MotoGP weekend into all risk, all reward. Yeah, we have these guys are not paid. Yeah. What do we say about racing riders and racing drivers? They are not paid to dawdle around. They are paid to go out and push the limit. And now they have reason to push the limit every minute of a weekend. Yeah, we haven't even touched the fact the what seems like the obvious one, which is with the sprints, you're adding more opportunities for riders to get hurt. You've you've just introduced a second for a second first lap collision opportunity. Yeah. Um I mean we saw it last year a couple times in F one where people were getting wiped out in sprints because there is an opportunity there. Um and this one doesn't even set the grid for the primary race. Nope. <clears throat> but it is worth points all the way down, uh half points to half the positions. Down to nine can, actually. So it's yeah. a little bit more than half. A little bit more than half. If you can get to the top nine, hey, that's points. They matter. Yeah. Um, and it's just it it's adding so much more risk to what is already a very risky sport by nature. I, I don't think you'll mind me using his name here because he's a good friend and he's a good friend of the show. I got into it with Kevin Walsh. Um, Kevin's a big fan of ours and he's a friend of the show and he's in our Discord and we, we, we don't take this shit personally. We are two very heated, very passionate bike fans who from two different sides of the aisle and he's been a big proponent for having sprint races and that's understandable. I, I, I get the argument as to why they might work and I said to him and a, a, mate, a, a casual mate of ours on Twitter, at what point does this move beyond the inherent danger of just it being bike racing and into the grounds of this is an un unavoidable and unnecessary amount of risk? I don't know where that line is. I don't think anybody knows where that line is. And that in itself is a problem. It, it's but, ambiguous by nature. And it, if you're adding 21 race starts to a calendar year and you're inviting your riders to be more aggressive, not just because of the fact that this is a sprint race and there's only 12, or it's only a half distance race, roughly. The fact as well that these bikes are genuinely incredibly difficult to overtake with now, and that is going to invite riders to take on more risk. Look, I know Yoan Mir, right? I've, I've, seen, I've seen his entire, his entire career 
from his, the time he was in Moto Three, he would not have gone gone for that lunge in a Grand Prix scenario. Hundred. No, it was no uh, it was absolutely it was if gap bike in the worst sense of the word. Like he had no chance to make that pass. Thankfully, Fabio was able to stay upright. Mir crashed himself out, and he got a long lap for it. Yeah. I mean, he would never try that in a Grand Prix is the point I'm getting at. He's trying it because it's He's never been a rider to try that kind of risk when overtaking someone. Um, Yeah, it's, 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 I was talking about Kevin with it as well in DMs on Twitter. And again, this is motorcycle racing. Shit happens. But you've now added in 35% more opportunity for shit happening. You've doubled the first lap potential for shit happening. And you've now integrated the practice sessions into shit possibly happening. And shit did happen. This is not to say that car racing is not dangerous, but because it there is. Are, but there are levels to it. But there's it's, levels it's, to it. In a car, yeah. you're seated in a in kind of a carbon fiber crass structure. On a bike, you are the crass structure. Exactly. I mean, I mean, Dre, Dre, you and I kind of talked about it that unfortunately in Formula One at this point and really stuff like that, LMP1, NASCAR, injuries are zero or 100. You are either mm. gravely injured and probably never going to race again if you're lucky or you get out and you go home and you talk to Red Bull Catering about a sandwich. Sure. Um, God. In motorcycle racing there is every range of every kind of injury between something very minor a bruise a broken bone in the thumb to you not getting up and you ending at the side of a racetrack the line that sticks out to me most and thanks for jason for reminding me of this is from is alicia spargaro alicia spargaro and we Quote all know. of the year contender, by the okay. way. Oh, yeah. And we all know, look, Aleish is the longest-running rider in the top flight. He is the veteran of the paddock. He's the only man left in this field who raced an 800. Um, this is his 19th year in Grand Prix motorcycle racing. And <coughs> Aleish hit Simon Patterson with a line that stuck out to me like a sore thumb, where he said, quote, Gladiator is my favorite movie. Do you think those guys wanted to be there? Quote of the year, unquestioned. That you couldn't encompass it more perfectly. Mortal Kombat is such a cool game. You think anybody, any one of those dudes, want to be there? Uh, personally, I could do without my spine. But look, like Alesh is the longest tenured person here. He's the last man to ride an eight hundred. Of course, he has paid his dues in this sport. He's seen in every shit. way you could imagine. And if anyone is qualified to speak on the matter, he is. His and, brother almost died this weekend. Yeah, he's holding his brother's hand in a hospital in a picture. Basically called, describing him as the Incredible Hulk for surviving that crash. If, if anyone's um, allowed to have their heart on their sleeve on this yeah. weekend after seeing, their, after seeing their brother airlifted to a hospital, it's him. Without question. Yeah, I mean... The man was getting emergency IVs at the side of the track for the better, what felt like a half hour. Yeah, as I thought, this is a bit more serious than just your average crash. And what this feeds into to kind of talk to our next point is a feeling between all of the riders this weekend. And it's been snowballing for a while. And we've touched on it on the show that 
the riders increasingly feel like they have no voice in the sport and that the powers that be, in this case being FIM and Dorna, are basically doing shit to do shit regardless of how it affects the riders and teams. Mm. And they feel very powerless to do anything about it. There are instances where uh, racing athletes sometimes don't have their best interest in mind when they speak about it, but this is not one of those cases. This is something where they genuinely well, feel RJ, like their lives are at risk. RJ, when we lost Louis Salam and the talk was about changing the track, Valentino Rossi came out in the media immediately was screaming bloody murder about doing anything about the track. Yeah, that's it's, why I kind of feel like it's been it, talked about. I don't know if they're going to come on you know, to enough common ground to I, get like a proper right together. But that is kind of the thing here. Mark Marquez was on record being all four sprints prior to this weekend. Mm-hmm. More racing good, which seems to be a lot of the opinion out of the positive side of sprints. And hey, to kind of talk backtrack a little bit. I agree with Trey. The sprint in a vacuum was very entertaining to watch. But when he's the one talking about a rider's union, when Alicia Spargaro is openly talking about a rider's union, when the people, when the powers that be at Dorna are having to get their elbows out and publicly put down union talk, there is smoke here, however small it might be. Yeah, and look, I, I I openly admit I was fully on RJ's side of the aisle when it came to this conversation. I cited the Salom incident and how, like, on one side of the defense you had people like Valentino Rossi, on the other side you had someone like Bradley Smith who poured his heart out on on BT Sport the weekend that happened because he is the he was the rider's representative in terms of safety and. Bradley, like his head was good. I think that's. I think that's where he, 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 he became bold. I think his head. Yeah, yeah he, he, he melted. Fire. <laughs> he melted down over that, and and with full justification to melt down over it because we just watched a rider die in a corner that had been complained about. And to feed back into this, the primary thing that really did Paul in in his incident and hurt Fabio Di Antonio and hurt Brad Bender when they were testing here mm-hmm. was because this track is not fit for purpose for motorcycles because its gravel traps use far too large of a stone type and they are raked in a way that is primarily to stop a car. And I've talked about this a little bit on this podcast before, but when we talk, when we get into discussions about tracks that both F1 and motorcycle racing series use, you always have to hit that balance because you can scream all fucking day about asphalt runoffs in Formula One being, oh, they're not punishing enough. Well, asphalt runoffs save people's lives on bikes because they give people a chance to decelerate. You're not a car flying off into the scrabble trap. You are a person heading at a wall. And in this case, this gravel was just having bikes and people skip across its surface straight towards walls. And this has been talked about for four years regarding this track, and nothing has been done. Portimao has been completely silent on it. Dorna has ignored rider safety concerns. 
And it just feels like to me regarding the, 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 the dirty you word. One incident isn't doing this. It's just snowballing and snowballing a little bit more every time we have one of these discussions. And that's how it starts. Not the union proper, but the discussions around it. And the narrative starts around Dorna just embracing defiance of rider safety in this case. I, like I said, was on that aisle until Marquez this weekend said that, yeah, I think we might need a union and we need a lawyer to represent us. Because let's not forget, the riders were not consulted before this sprint mode or the sprint race feature, which is a huge fucking adjustment to the entire sport. It's, the riders are the crux of it. They're the ones racing. We've added 35% onto their workload, a very physical workload, because you're racing a 300-horsepower carbon fiber missile Um, all the way through the year. We've added a second race start to every race through the year. I mean, Formula One, to that effect, they knew they weren't going to get away with putting a sprint on every weekend because the teams are running, the, the inmates are running the asylums with the teams, and the teams would have lost their fucking minds. In a cost cap era, absolutely. Yeah, who, who, who at the FIA and FOM are subsidizing those power units, those parts you're consuming, um, the tires necessary to run? additional mileage but i talked about this a little bit before this show directly it's very weird how moto gp is run right now where dorna has absolute authority over the sporting side of the regulations they are the only ones with any power they can tell the riders to go fuck themselves all day long they can tell the teams if you don't like it you don't need to be here well at the same time Dorna has zero power over the technical regulations because they need unanimous agreements from the teams and they're never going to agree on it because no one is ever going to vote to get their own inbuilt advantage banned. And they are simultaneously the, the complete lack of control on the technical side and the absolute control on the sporting side feel like they're tearing the sport asunder. And the riders are the one who's the ones who are caught in the middle. It just feels like a very tense time to be in bike racing at the moment. It feels like who's happy a... right now, besides Peko Banyaya. Peko Banyaya is happy. The, the sports bosses are delighted. The sprint was an overriding success for them. Right. Right. I mean, I think so. It it feels like it's split everyone right down the middle. I'm not happy that we're going back. What we're going to have is we're going to have a depleted grid at Argentina if we don't have everybody getting replaced that's hurt. I mean, Dre, the last time we saw that was pre-CRT era 2011. Yeah, and we know why that race has a C next to it. Um, Dre, are the bosses happy right now? Because attendance is in the fucking toilet for a few races. 
Yeah, apparently 9,000 down on last year, 67K at Portimao this weekend. They had 76 last year. Why aren't the few, Why isn't this generation of riders captivating audiences the way they used to as the sport goes behind more and more expensive paywalls and ticket prices jump up more and more? Can't figure it out. Yeah. yeah. And, and the irony in it is that they keep copying everything. They're, they are down... They are down apocalyptic to try and copy anything they can from Formula One. Down to the fucking theme music. Down to they have theme music now. Yeah, they always and had yeah. a theme music. They had a theme song that was good for so long. They had the, so the, did Speed on F One, and it was the best soundtrack to every three AM wake had, up. They had the simple eight note jingle, and it worked. They they never needed to have their own like orchestral theme it's 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 ripping a page straight out of formula one's book look you know it's funny as well moto gp had the light box intro style before but it wasn't Mm -hmm. actually a theme they used for the races it was the it was a season opener graphic that they used to put in the video games and now that's become the full theme and they had that like five years before f1 copied them ironically but like at the same time it's betray yeah, here's my overarching point. They are down atrocious to try and copy anything they can off of Formula One. Formula One just burned its entire regulation set to the ground to try and improve the on-track product. And well, other than the fact that Red Bull are whooping that ass, generally speaking, it's worked. Yeah, and yet in MotoGP, I can't remember. I can't remember a race where people had a second in second gaps between bikes. Yeah, just on Maverick Vinales. Maverick Vinales who had phenomenal pace in this race. He couldn't do. He couldn't even get close enough to think about Alon John Pecco. That look. That race played exactly into Maverick Vinales's hands. It was the if you wanted to give Maverick Vinales a blueprint to win a MotoGP race, which he's done nine times before, that was exactly the sort of race for him to do it. Couldn't get there. Yeah, he couldn't. He could, but he couldn't even get close. I think the closest he ever got was about six tenths, and there was just no more in it. He had to yeah. back off to calm his front tire down because these front tires are made of toothpicks and chewing gum. The only mm. battling we got, Dre, was the Zarko. fight for fourth with and Johan Zarco, who again might be the best motorcycle racer on earth, except when he's in a position to win. <laughs> just putting on a show late on. Past three dudes on the final lap to go from seventh to fourth, including shoving Alex Marquez on the penultimate corner. Oh my! Alex Marquez had a great weekend. Indeed, first weekend at a Duke, um, fifth place. Uh, I felt like so that. bad for Ryan. I felt uh, so bad for Ryan that he couldn't celebrate uh, that first podium. Uh, it, it'll come. Um, but I mean, you, you said it as well, RJ. Like, not can I go selfish, Brit, for just a second here? Forgive me for just a moment, because I'm, I'm the only British guy left. All on right, this show. Uh, all right. Uh, give him, give him his fish and chips. Okay, yeah. Fa- fa- thank you. I appreciate that. Like RJ alluded to, expensive paywalls, and this was the first weekend on BT Sport where they started advertising the channel as the home of bikes. Because for those who don't know, in the UK, um, BT Sport are soon to be no more. They are in a merger with the people you might know as the Discovery Network. Oh no! That's right. Another another booming success from David Zaslav. Thanks, buddy. You're the best. I didn't even. I didn't even know. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. no, Dre. Uh, l- let me educate you on some shit. Yeah. So basically, BT Sport has been actively trying to sell itself for two or three years now. Um, and it was announced late last year that they are going to be merging with the Discovery Network, I, aka Warner Brothers. Uh, for those who don't AKA know, aka the the entity which has been pillaging and burning all of its IPs to the ground to use as tax write-offs. Oh yeah. My face right now is that of the angry video game nerd drinking Rolling Rock on the Rolling Rocker. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of shit. Um, f- quick history lesson: Bef- um, before twenty like twenty thirteen was, I believe, the last year. And this was Mark Marquez's debut season in the top flight. It was the last year. That, yeah, it was. It was. It was the last year that we had MotoGP on free to air television because we had. The, it was limited coverage, but we got every race free to air on BBC Two, every TV in the country, every Sunday. About a million people a weekend would watch, plus whoever was on Eurosport, because there was also Eurosports coverage, um, the home of bikes, i.e. more like bicycles. You may know them from the Tour de France and, and other such sports, a lot of tennis and a lot of snooker was, was on Eurosport as well. But that was the, where the legendary commentary duo of Toby Moody and Julian Ryder was. Eurosport was the kings of biking coverage. Um, BT Sport bought the rights out in 2014, and MotoGP's active audience in the UK went down by about 80%. Um, Don't get me wrong, BT Sport's coverage is generally very good. They give you everything, which is something that other networks didn't do. They cover every session live. They have their, their own rolling panel of pundits, and look, don't get me wrong, I'm not the biggest fan of it all. I've I've been critical of it in the past in certain areas like conflicts of interest because they have Michael Laverty as a pundit when he owns a Moto3 team. Um, And I've always... Certified Dale Earnhardt Jr. moment. Yeah, well, 100%. And, you know, it's a bit awkward and conflicting and hypocritical to have a team owner as a pundit, Sylvain. And I, I love Sylvain Gintoli. He was an active test rider for Suzuki at the time as a pundit too. And I've always thought that in itself was a bit awkward. Um, but as said, they are going to merge all of all of Eurosport into what will now be known as TNT Sports later this year. Um, and they, we saw the first advertisements this weekend for calling BT Sport the home of bikes, and they actively plugged the British Superbike Championship starting next weekend, which is being streamed exclusively on the Discovery Plus app, i.e., you know, like every other streaming service you get these days. It's on, you know, games consoles, skyboxes, you name it, smart TVs, you get the gist. Um, Mm. It means that if this holds up, all of the big three... MotoGP, World Superbikes, and British Superbikes will be under the same umbrella, and they will all be behind the paywall. This is dreadful news for the sports growth in this country. And I think even the Americans will admit Britain is one of the is one of the biking countries of the world. Like, uh, the the biggest boys' club on planet Earth when it comes to motorcycle racing. Oh yeah, but like you don't need you don't need me to tell you that. The easiest way to ki- the, the easiest way to kill any growth that anything has is to shrink its potential audience. Right. 
Formula One on Sky Sports could get away with it because Formula One just has so much more inertia behind it than MotoGP doesn't. But RJ, Formula One, they didn't get away with it because viewership has gone down. Yeah. Formula One was on free-to-air in the UK from 1997 all the way until 2012. Like, we were spoiled. We had it on ITV from, like, 97 to 2008. The BBC had it for three or four years. Um, Then eventually Sky opened up their entire exclusive fourth channel. This is before Sky had 11 channels. Like, this is when they had three and an extra, and then they thought, oh, we're going to open a whole last channel just for Formula One. Snagged every key figure you can think of, right? And the sports audience went down. We went from F1 races peaking at over 10 million to like 2 million being considered a good day in the UK. And and Cam's Cam's right. We didn't get away with it because we were dying for the sport to get a shot in the arm until DTS rolled up. Uh, We're we're forgetting about it now because we are in a boom period with F1 because FOM, to their credit, has dumped an enormous amount of effort and money into marketing the sport anywhere they can. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They can market the sport in a way that Dorna cannot. But they, but even then, they're still not back to that critical mass that they used to be. Right, and BT Sport is a very, very overpriced network. It is £30 a month. It is the same price as Sky Sports right now. You can get it cheaper if you're an EE phone customer because EE owns them. <coughs> BT Sports stands for British Telecoms. They also own EE as a phone network. So if you're a customer with them, you, there, there are deals and workarounds to potentially get it cheaper, right? But Mm-hmm. face value it's 30 pounds a month right that's the same price as sky sports sky sports is objectively a much better value for money product at the same price than bt sport has ever been like sky sports has the premier league which for most brits is basically like lifeblood it's like blood oxygen and premier league football right like in that order <laughs> in, in ascending order um you know so like BT Sport really has got as a network, MotoGP, a bit of rugby, a bit of tennis, some American sports right here and there, like baseball, for example. But its yeah. overall package is nowhere near as good as Sky's, in my humble opinion. You are going to kill a lot of growth for bike riding in this country, which, by the way, is already struggling. Like in terms of generating prospects and harvesting talent, like Britain is is falling behind Italy and Spain quite badly at the moment. Um, you're not going to you're not going to gain any fans by going behind even more paywalls. And yeah, like, they're just chasing the short term gains. Yeah, sense. and and like it's it's ex- and Dorna recognizes this. It's why they've actively tried flipping like partial rights to races to free to air channels. Remember last year I talked about how ITV got two races last year. Like, like ITV One got a MotoGP race on every TV in the country, and no one watched it because ITV didn't plug it. They put it right in that British touring car weekend Sunday afternoon time slot, and no one cared. It's it makes me sad, but you know it's it's one of the many issues I have with MotoGP as a sport. And this one isn't even really on Dorna's fault. It's it's the logistics and the very nature of where, you know, sports broadcasting is at the moment. 
um, where they feel like they say, gotta, this, gotta own everything. Th- this problem is far from exclusive to MotoGP. 100%. However, we're talking about it because MotoGP has leaned all the way into it. Yep. And they're now trying to reverse the damage, and it might be too late for that. Um, you know what's It's a weird? shame. It, it, yeah, go on. We've gotten this far in the podcast. We mentioned Fabio Quadraro like once. Yeah, because he finished eighth in the Grand Prix and no one cared. Jesus Christ. Yamaha are so toast. Yeah, like Frankie Morbidelli was last of all the riders that saw the flag and Fabio Quadraro was eighth and still couldn't pass anybody. Yeah, his lap times were okay, but like what what Yamaha has done in in the way they've put this year's bike together, they've sacrificed their one lap pace for race pace, which means that uh, they don't even have any positions to lose now. What a mess of a weekend this was. And... It's, like it's every just, every good aspect was immediately balanced by something horrific. Indeed, like it's it's a it's. We'll wrap this up and get out of here. Just to say that, yeah, this was this, like like I like I said, the Grand Prix was fine. The sprint was genuinely great, but I do I'd wonder, barely call the Grand Prix fine. It was decent. I gave it a six on my race review, and I thought I, looking back at that, might have been a bit generous, but. I think six is about right. Johan Zarco was worth an extra point, um, quite frankly. Um, this is the first time that anyone has ever said those words in that order. I know. First time for everything. You know but, what I'd say is worth an extra point as we uh, uh, as my last point? No. Gino Ray is back in a motorcycle paddock. You know him as the How? FTC TSR rider, Honda rider who nearly died in practice at the Suzuka eight hours. He is back in the paddock smiling and having the time of his life respectfully how the fuck mm. he's he's so back good to see that man back oh, yeah. so so good wonderful yeah. to hear wonderful let's hear. let's leave it on that yeah a, a positive note um it's a shame that we have to talk about bike racing in such an up and down catastrophic sort of way because the potential is so great but you know it is nice to leave on a positive note Certainly. MotoGP is back this weekend. It is a back-to-back weekend. We will have Argentina uh, this weekend. As mentioned, no Mark Marquez, no Miguel Oliveira, no Enea Bastianini, and of course, no Paul Despargaro. Um, as time of recording, Marquez will not be replaced. We don't know about the other three just yet. Um, we'll have to wait and see. And of course, on behalf of all of us here, get well soon, Paul Spargo in particular, because, uh, oh, that was a horror crash. And, uh, you know, uh, the good news is he will make a full recovery. And that is wonderful to hear. But my God, I, 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 I hope I don't have to have another conversation about that and by Grayson again, anytime soon. I'm Andre Harrison. He's been Cam Buckley and RJ O'Connell. You know where you can find us. Thanks for watching. Sign hour. Later, y'all. Oh. That's your post credit bit right there. That's just just a deep sigh. Just, into the j- just a deep sigh. That is that's how I feel right now. I'm speaking how I feel.